Rabbi, yeah. so if it's yep. Pesach Shani, does it still have what? the same um, ability of, uh, like, uh, Lel Seder, the first Seder, of, like, for the redemption-wise? Can you repeat that again? Okay. Redemption-wise, does Pesach Shani have the same uh, uh, ability for Bnei Israel? Uh, like, do we still have that chance? Or it's not as strong as it's the first night of Pesach? <clears throat> well, that's a good question. The real concept, uh, the real question that we have to ask uh, is uh, Pesach Sheni, what is it really all about? Why do we ask that? Why is that a question? Well, the first question you have to ask is, um, there are two mitzvahs say in the Torah. Uh, normally, um, the only mitzvot that if you don't do, or well, not all of them, but many of them, is uh, karet, is uh, excision. The only two mitzvahs are say, positive commandments, for which a person will receive kores or karet, if he doesn't do them, is Pesach and Milo. So the question we have to ask is why? Why are these the only two mitzvot, and they are mitzvot asay, and these the only two mitzvot that if you don't do them, you get a very severe inish, punishment of karet, which is excision, which means the person will die before 60 years old. So that is a very good question. But there's another very good question in terms of trying to understand what Pesach Sheni really is. And by the way, this Friday is like Boima, so I'm going to try to speak about both. But meanwhile, <clears throat> so that's the first question of Pesach Sheni. The second question of Pesach Sheni is that the origin of Pesach Sheni is in the Torah, where it says that a group of people approached Moshe Rabbeinu, and they could not bring the first Pesach because they were Tomei. So they said to Moshe the following, Lomani Gora, why should we be basically diminished or denied the Korban Pesach? Because we were Tomei. Because we also want to have a Chelek in this mitzvah. And they are really exempt, you see. Uh, so Moshe Rabbeinu then told them, you know, wait here, and I will ask God, the Rabbani Shalom, what to do. And of course, that was the entire origin where the Rabbani Shalom said to Moshe, the whole mitzvah, Pesach Sheni. Uh, so that is really very problematic. Because, you know, if there are certain conditions to fulfill a mitzvah, and you don't meet those conditions, well, that's it. Those are the conditions for the halacha. If you don't meet them, then you don't meet them. And therefore, you're exempt. You can't go over and say, well, why did the Torah exempt me, even though there's a condition? Right? You can't ask that. You are exempt because you didn't fulfill a condition. If the Torah said that, then that's it. You can't say, well, why can't we, uh, you know, uh, do something about this? and have the mitzvah, even though we're really exempt. That's not a complaint. That's not a taina, you see. 
So that is a difficult thing to understand. What was their complaint? They were tummy, whatever. They couldn't do it, and that's it. So what is their complaint? Because if their complaint is valid, then you can complain that on every mitzvah that has conditions. Well, you know, why should we be denied the mitzvah? What do you mean? That's the condition. You don't fulfill the condition, then you deny the mitzvah. So the question then is, what is their complaint? Right? And the third question you can ask is, Pesach Sheni is a makeup mitzvah. You know, if a guy has to take a final exam, right? And for whatever reason, he can't make it. Let's say he's very sick. So then the instructor will give him a makeup exam, right? Okay, that makes sense, right? But you don't find that there's a makeup exam or makeup mitzvah other than Pesach Sheni. So why should this be an, ex- an exception, you see? Because you don't find it by any other mitzvah. Means all of a sudden, the Rabbanu Shalom is going to issue a new mitzvah as a makeup because people missed the previous. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, I couldn't do sukkah, right? Because uh, let's say uh, uh, I didn't have the materials, right? And there was no, uh, there's no way I can get a sukkah. So what are you going to ask God? Uh, well, you know, give me a makeup mitzvah of sukkah. No, uh, you know, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. That's it. So why does the Rambam accede to their request? That is the question. And these are very good questions. Obviously, what it indicates is that there's something about Pesach Sheni which we need to understand. And once we understand that, then all these questions will go away. You see? So that's where we begin to understand that there is something wrong with our understanding of Pesach Sheni. So that is the question. <clears throat> what exactly is it about Pesach Sheni? One, that would be Chai, of course, or rather Pesach Rishon, I should say, that you allowed to have, a, you, that the Bosham would want to give a makeup, you know, uh, mitzvah. And why should a person feel that he has been rejected? Well, he has not fulfilled the condition. Not because he's rejected. You don't have to make, you don't have to make it up. Uh, but the idea is that, that we have to understand what exactly is the Korban Pesach, you see. <clears throat> in other words, what is the Korban Pesach even in Egypt? Why did God want people to do a Korban Pesach? And the idea to that is that in order to get out of the redemption, in order to get out of Egypt and have the redemption, right, <clears throat> there's basically two things that had to occur. And this would be the merit of the redemption from Egypt. One is that they had to admit, okay, they had to accept upon themselves, there had to be Moisa Nefesh, you know, they have to actually commit self-sacrifice, right, to reject the Avodah They did that with the lamb. When they tied up the lamb, which, by the way, we know, is a Egyptian deity. They worshipped the, the, the ram. Okay. So what they did is they tied it up at the bed, which is the Egyptian god, right? 
And then they sacrificed it and put the blood on the lintel, on the door. Now that was sacrilege, you see. So that was the mitzvah of rejecting the Avridah Zorah of the Egyptians, which is what God wanted them to do. In other words, if you want to be redeemed, you need to reject the Avridah Zorah of the Egyptians. You need to cast away, repudiate, which means to reject the Avridah Zorah of the Egyptians, their way of life, their value system, you see. So that's the first thing that the Jews had to do. And that's why they were commanded to do that. They had to exhibit an act that would demonstrate that they reject the gods of Egypt. The second thing, however, is that besides rejecting the deities of Egypt, they had to accept God. And they had to commit and become a member of the Jewish people or a member of that people, right, that would now worship God and be devoted and dedicated to his allegiance. That's the second requirement for redemption, you see. And what that was, that was the Korban Pesach. Because they had to offer a sacrifice, right, dedicated to God. And they had to do it, B'chabura, means there was a whole group of people, right, that would register for this Korban. And only those people who were registered for that Korban, they could eat of that particular Korban Pesach. You see. And what that meant is that's what's called initiation rite. You know, it's interesting, in, 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 in many colleges, they have clubs, and many of them, in order to get into the club, you have to do something to indicate that you are part of the club, that you follow their rules, and you want to abide by their regulations, you see? Now, many of them have ridiculous initiation rights, and we know that. Some of them are downright dangerous. We have to do something crazy. And then if you do that, then that's indicative that you want to follow the club and therefore you become a full-fledged member, you see. But that concept where you have to do something that indicates that you are a full-fledged member, that's very common in terms of clubs, you see. That's really what happened in terms of the Korban Pesach. You need to do the Korban Pesach, which is to bring a sacrifice to God, and then the blood would be sprinkled on the temple or whatever. And the main idea is that you would eat it with a chabura, with a whole group of people, and that would indicate that is what's called a demonstration of membership among the Jewish people. That's really what the Korban Pesach is. It's a membership action that you are now part of the Jewish people, you see. So that's really what Korban Pesach is. That's the initial. Now, here was the problem. So the Pesach is not just a kapara, you know, some type of uh, sacrifice for uh, uh, atonement or some other purpose. The purpose was, is that it's a demonstration 
that you consider yourself part of the Jewish people, you see. So here's what happened. There was a whole group of people that were not able to bring Korban Pesach, you see. So what they said was the following. Now, we understand that, you know, we can't, we couldn't bring the Korban Pesach, so that's it. It's too bad. Because one of the conditions is, of course, you cannot be Tomei. And if we are, okay. That's the luck. However, what they really said is, Lomini Gora, why, why are we denied a membership action that we are really part of the Jewish people? You see, because that's the symbolism of the Korban Pesach, that we are a member of the Jewish people. That's what that kind of was. Why should we be denied an ability or an opportunity to declare that we are really part of the Jewish people? You see? So initially, of course, what did it was the Korban Pesach. So they said, well, we couldn't bring it. So does that mean we have no ability, no opportunity to, to say that we want, that we declare allegiance to God, to his mitzvot, to the Jewish people? That was their claim. And their claim had a tremendous amount of merit. Because that was their real claim. Not why can't we bring a Corbin? No. Hey, you didn't have the conditions. Okay. So you don't fulfill the, the Corbin, the conditions. Fine. But that's the thing. The Corbin Pesach symbolized the entry as part, as a member of the Jewish people. And that's what they complained. You see? So that's why the Rabbanishim agreed with them. He says, you know, it's true. It's not that you're asking, we want to do a Corbin Pesach. No. We want to be part of Klai Israel. That indicates, right, that we are part of the Jewish people. And that is why the Bonsham said, I am going to give you a makeup. It's called a second chance. That's what Korban Pesach really indicates. That you can always get, if you want to become Jewish or part of the Jewish people, if you want to become, uh, you know, have the allegiance to God, if you want to accept the yoke of heaven, there is always a second chance. And that's what Korban Pesach is. It's called a second chance. You see? And that's why God agreed to their complaint or their claim that every Jew is always around, is always uh, entitled to a second chance. Especially when the second chance isn't just to do tshuva, which itself is a second chance. But to become part of the Jewish people, become a member, become uh, have an allegiance to the Torah and the Mitzvot, every Jew is entitled to that. And that is why God made Pesach Sheni. You see? And that's why we can understand. Why is it if you don't bring the Korban Pesach and you are able to, you have Kores, because you are not declaring that you are a member of the Jewish people. And therefore, the whole point of your existence is to do the tikkun. So if you're not doing it because you don't declare yourself as part of the Jewish people, then you are chayv chorus. You will be annihilated. You see? And the second idea, right, why is there a makeup? Because the makeup is not 
really to bring a korban that you missed, fine. The makeup is to be able to declare that you are a member of the Jewish people. That needs a makeup because that type of declaration is critical for every Jew to declare. And that is really what the Korban Pesach is. It's a second chance. And we have to learn a tremendous Musar from that. As they say, Musar Haskel. That if you want to rejoin the Jewish people, there's always a second chance. And therefore, there is a second chance by a Pesach. It's very important for us to learn that this is allowed to happen. And therefore, God created a whole parsha, a whole mitzvah in the Torah, you see, where they can bring a Korban Pesach. Of course, it doesn't have the same stringency as the first. You, you're allowed to have chomates and so on, you know, and, 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 and so on, you know. But the critical thing is that the Pesach is indicative of the fact that you want to join the Jewish people. And that's why there's a makeup, you see? So that answers the question. Pesach is special because it's not just a korban, you see, or a celebration of the redemption. What it really is is that you want to declare yourself to be part of the tribe of God. And therefore, they were given a second chance. That's the idea of Pesach Sheni, and that is what we have. So, today was a great day to declare your re-allegiance to the Jewish people, your re-allegiance to the mitzvot, Torah, right? And that is a very important factor for the redemption, you see. And that is why in Egypt, as I mentioned, you needed two things. You needed to remove the lamb to declare that you do not want or you reject the deities of Egypt, Yavodizarah, and the second thing is you needed to exhibit some type of allegiance, loyalty to God and to his mitzvot. Then you could be redeemed. You see? And we find out also that the Jews were redeemed from Egypt. Remember what the Midrash says, the Chazal? That they, they, did, not, they did not change their clothing, they change their language or their names. Therefore, they still had an allegiance to the Torah, to God. Because the major identity of a people is what? The major identity of people is their language, right? Their names and their dress. That's what may, that's a major form of the identity, you see? And that, in many ways, is a statement that the values of the Jewish people remain with them even though they've gone astray. You see? Uh, so that is the concept of Pesach Sheni. Very, very important idea, you know, uh, and so on, you know. Uh, so this was today, uh, so that's a very, a very, very important idea. Now, this also uh, is, um, uh, I was going to say Friday, is um, uh, Lag Boimer. And with Lag Boimer, it's also a very strange holiday, you know. Um, we, we find there's only two people that 
tens of thousands of Jews commemorate the Yot side of only two people. One is Rochel Imenu, right? Ad Yud Aleph Cheshvon. Tens of thousands of people go to the Kever of Rochel Imenu, who's obviously a very great woman, obviously, the uh, wife of Yaakov Avinu, and tens of thousands of people go to her Kever. But besides Rochel Imenu, there's also a Yud Aleph Cheshvon, there's also Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai on Lag because he died on Lag So there, hundreds of thousands of people, literally, hundreds of thousands of people, I think they estimate like 500,000 people go to his kever. And thank God what happened is that Israel, even though there's COVID, they opened it up completely which means that all hundreds of thousands of people will be able to go. <clears throat> so the question, of course, we have to ask is why? Why is it that Rochli Main is your site, right? You're out of Cheshvan. And why is that by Rab Shimon, by Yochai? Why is it by these two people that there's so many people that commemorate these your sites? Somehow we get the feeling that they are tied to the redemption. And the truth is, that's exactly what it is. Yud Aleph Cheshvan, which I will indicate, which is the Yod side of Rochel Imenu, and Lamed Gimel Ba'imeh, the 33rd day of the Oimeh, which by the way is Yud Ches Iyo, both of these days are messianic opportunities, which means that the Mashiach can come in either of these two days. The question is why? And it's interesting, even though, you know, most, most people, most people don't know why, but there's somehow, is there's a Ruach Mimorum, there's a, a light, there's a powerful influx of spirituality that descends on these two days that somehow the Jews pick up. And they know what to do, even though they don't really know why. <clears throat> you know, it says in the Gemara that even though they're not Nevi'im, the Jewish people are not prophets, but B'nai Nevi'im, Haim, they are the children or the descendants of prophets. <clears throat> and what that means, that was, that was said by a specific incident in the, the Gemara Sachim. you see, so what does that mean? That means even though we ourselves are not Nevi'im. We are not prophets. But since we are descendant of people that have acquired prophecy, then we have inherited, so to speak, their DNA, which means that we can actually have prophetic understandings without going through the phenomenon of prophecy. That's what that means. So therefore, somehow the Jews, even though they're not prophets, somehow they can go through that feeling that these two days, Yud Aleph Cheshvan and Lag Boimah, are days which are related to the messianic process. The question is, we have to understand why. And the idea to that really is this. We know that the Mabu 
happened after 10 generations. And what the Mabul, we know really what it was. I had mentioned this. Is that what the Rabbanishim wanted is that after 10 generations from Adam to Noyach, that the world would rectify, right, the uh, whatever has to be done, righteousness, for 10 generations. And that would rectify the world, and then you can actually have the Mashiach. However, what the world did is instead of rectifying it, they sinned terribly. We know that. In fact, it was so bad that the 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 world had entered as a whole the Memteshari Tumah, the forty nine levels of Tumah of defilement. That's how bad it became. So what God decided to do is to end it. That the world had reached a level in which it cannot go on. So he decided to terminate the whole program which is what he did. He brought the marble. But I had once mentioned that the way he ended everything is midah connected midah, measure for measure. They were supposed to bring down the Orishan, the messianic light, because that was supposed to be the end. Instead of the messianic light, then the physical counterpart or analog of that light is water. So therefore the water was the Orishan that came down as water. In other words, it was the Orishan, the Messianic light, the Omashiach, that came down as its physical counterpart and destroyed the earth. And that's why it says, Arubas HaShemayim, the waters poured forth from the windows of heaven and from the Tahoim, from the abyss. Because the Chochmah Mashiach, right, is a Chochmah that will descend from heaven. It is an understanding of all the upper worlds, right? The whole messianic light is an understanding of the entire reality, which is the whole Kabbalah in the upper worlds. Those are the windows of heaven. And also all the ideas of the earth, science. It's a connection that everything that happens here, how it's all governed by the messianic light. So it's from top and bottom. You see? So what happened was, instead of the messianic light coming down, right, what happened was its counterpart physically came down, which was water, and the water inundated the entire planet. That's how God destroyed the world, because they had entered the Memteshari Tumor. That's a very important idea. When did that happen? What was the date? Well, we know it was the 18th or the 17th into the 18th of Hezron. But really, when you think about it, it was really supposed to come down on Yud Aleph Hezron, the 11th day of Hezron, you see. Why is that? Because Yud Aleph Hezron is 41 days after the Bries of the Mauritian. And we know that the number 40 is always a development it takes 40 days to develop, and then what comes out is an entity. For instance, Mem Yom of the Vitsiris of Vlad, that in order for a Vlad to become look human, it needs 40 days. You see? So that's 40 days of development. Uh, and, and so on. There are, many, there are many concepts of 40 and so on. 
So therefore, from the birth of Adam until the 40th day would be Yud Cheshvan, and on the 41st day would be a fully developed entity, so to speak. And therefore, the Orishan should have come down 40 days after uh, Aleph Tishrei. In any case, so on Yud Aleph Cheshvan, that's when the Orishan should have come down. Instead, what came down, of course, was the marble. But the marble didn't come down on Yud Aleph Cheshvan because Mr. Shalach died. So what the Rabbanu Shalom did is he waited for seven days until the mourning period for Mr. Shalach would be over. And then after that, the marble. So therefore, the marble actually came down basically on the 18th day of Cheshvan. But it was supposed to come down on Yudal of Cheshvan, you see? And that is the day of redemption, which is interesting. That Yudal of Cheshvan is a redemption day. But instead it came down on the 18th. Why? Because of the death of Mr. Shalach. That's why. <clears throat> now, the question is, well, that's interesting. Rochel Menu died on Yudal of Cheshvan. And that would indicate that in some way she's connected to redemption. And we find that this is true. Because we find that there's an entire Midrash where it says that when the Jews were exiled from Israel after the Chorm Bais Rishon, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the Besamikdash and began to exile the Jews. And his policy was to take the Jews and bring them to uh, Babylon where he hoped, he hoped to destroy the identity of the Jews. In any case, as they walked, as they went from Jerusalem or whatever, and they began to leave Israel to go to Babylon, which is east, they approached or they went near the kever of Rochali Menu, and they stopped and prayed. And it says because of that, Hanishama was aroused, and prayed to God that they should be redeemed. And that's exactly what happened. That they were, even though they went into exile, they were redeemed after 70 years. Because without her prayer, they could have stayed in exile, or Babylon, or whatever, any country, right? And they would not have achieved, again, self-governance or autonomy until the Mashiach. So her prayers is what allowed the Jews to be redeemed again, you see. And there's a reason for why her prayers. Because the Midrash says that while the Jews were going into exile, everybody was approaching God in heaven. Avraham, Yitzchok, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, Shloimo, David, Shmuel, Hanavi, everybody. And they were all asking God, to allow the redemption to happen, which means that the goal should not be long. And the Rabbanishim did not listen to any of them. When Rachel, however, she attempted also, and Rachel pleaded, and God listened to Rachel. And that's the famous Haftar of Yimio, Lamed Aleph, where it says, Rachel cries or weeps for her children, which is interesting, and that means all Klai Yisrael is called her children. And the Rabbanisham says, you know, diminish your tears, right? And I will, they will come back to their land. 
Why did the Rosh listen to Rachel? Because all the other people made their requests based on din, judgment. And God said, well, based on judgment, they must go into exile permanently. But Rahul came and said, her claim wasn't exile permanently, that Apidin, you should, they should have redemption. She said something different. She said, well, when Yaakov Avinu wanted to marry me, she says, right, then he gave me signs, simonim, right, that he will be able to identify me as the woman under the chuppah, you see. But I knew that Yaakov was going to marry me and that Leah, who was supposed to be married to Esau, would never get married. Because was going to want to take her, you see. And Leah, of course, was weeping terribly, right? So I had tremendous compassion on my sister. Tremendous compassion. And therefore, what I did is I gave the secret signs that Yaakov gave me, right? And I gave it to my sister. And I allowed Leah to replace me under the chuppah. Now, Yaakov didn't know. Apparently, he didn't look. And he thought Leah was Rachel. And he married Leah, right? And then in the morning, whatever, he found out, hey, it's Leah. It's not Rachel. Now, this, I didn't have to do, Rachel says. In fact, I endangered my entire status as a mother of Israel. Because it was very possible for Yaakov Avinu to say, I don't believe this. You actually conspired against me, right, to join your sister, to fool me, to deceive me. And therefore, I'm not marrying you. I already married your sister. It's too bad. So what I did, Rochel says, is I endangered my entire status as a mother of Israel because I did not want to see the terrible shame and grief of my sister. And that was a tremendous mitzvah of Not only that, and you will love your neighbor as yourself, but also I went I went beyond the measure of justice because I didn't have to do this, yet I did it anyway. So therefore, Rachel says to God, my request is that you also do not look at the judgment, the din, because based on the din, you're right. They don't deserve to be redeemed. But just like I put away the just the judgment, because I didn't have to do this, but I went beyond the measure of justice, and I was aroused, my compassion is what took over. I ask you, measure for measure, that your compassion and not justice is what the action you should take for the Jewish people. And that request was so powerful that God overturned the decree of exile permanently and said it will only be for 70 years, which we know 70 years is the spheres, the seven spheres, so they can do a tikkun on the seven spheres, and each one of them is 10 years, and so on. Because each sphere has 10 sub-spheres, which is each a year. So therefore, it comes out that what Rochel did was absolutely incredible. She actually stopped the exile of the Jewish people on a permanent basis. Therefore, Rochel has always been identified 
as the redemption of Israel. But there's something else also that Rochel did, which we have to understand that what Rochel did is she allowed Leah to become the wife of Yaakov. And Yaakov needed to marry Leah as well as Rochel. Why? Uh, because Leah, Leah was supposed to marry Esau. And Rochel, of course, was, was supposed to marry Yaakov. So it comes out that had Rochel married Yaakov and not switched places with Leah, then it comes out that Leah would never have married Yaakov. Therefore, the consort or the wife of Esau would never have married Yaakov. And that would have been terrible because Yaakov took over the job of Esau. And I've mentioned this many times. You see, that Esau was an Ov, a patriarch. There was Avram, Yitzchok, Yaakov, and Esau, four patriarchs. And when Esau sinned, I'm doing this very briefly, Yaakov not only had his job, but he took over the job of Esau. But if Yaakov took over the job of Esau, that would also mean that he would have to marry, you see, Esau's wife. Because the spiritual mission of a husband must also have, right, his partner, who is his wife, which is part of that spiritual mission. So it comes out that Yaakov had to marry Leah. She wasn't going to marry Esau if he became a Russia. But in order for Yaakov to do his job, which is to take over the part of Esau, he would have to marry, right, the wife the spiritual counterpart of Esau, which is Leah. So therefore, when she gave Leah to Yaakov, she allowed Yaakov to fulfill his mission mission of completing the job of Esau. And that's what the Jewish people needed. So it comes out that that was another incredible contribution that Rochel made toward the Jewish people. And she allowed Yaakov to do his tikkun, which is his own tikkun, which is called Tiferes, and also the Tikkun of Esau, because he was able to marry Leah. See, that's not usually brought out, but that's really what happened with Rochel. So look how great the actions of Rochel was. So she, therefore, has become symbolized, right, as the woman, as the mother, as they say, Mama Rochel, who is part of the redemption of the Jewish people. And the end of time, Rachel will do the same. She is always praying for the Jewish people as a real mother that they should not experience the Golas in its full entirety, but they should always be, you know, it should be mitigated and there should be a redemption. You see? And since she died, so therefore, since she would be a woman that enables the Jews to be redeemed, she would have to die on Yud Al which is the day of the redemption of the Orishan. Unfortunately, by the Mabel, because they reached the Memteshai Tuma, waters, Mabel became, the flood became that vehicle. But really, it was the Orishan, the Omashiach. So therefore, Rachel would die on the day of Yud Al to indicate that she is part of the redemption process, which I have mentioned. That is a very important idea. And somehow, Christ will 
realizes that in their bones. Because we are descendants of prophet, we have inherited prophetic DNA. Which, by the way, scientists now realize, just as an aside, they used to say that acquired characteristics are not inherited. That's what they used to think. But they realized that it's wrong. That if you have an acquired characteristic, you can actually bequeath that through your DNA to your descendants. It's an incredible concept, you see. But in any case, therefore the Jewish people realize that Rochel is a redemption figure. And therefore they will all go, not all, but tens of thousands of people will go to the, on the Yod side of Yod al which is the Yod side of Rochel, and simultaneous is the day of the Orishan, you see. Now, what's interesting is we know that the Mabel did not happen on Yud Aleph, right? It happened instead on Yud Zayin Yud Ches, you see? So that is also a day of redemption, since that's the day it actually happened. Now the interesting thing is there's an argument between Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Eliezer. When did when was the world of the Mauritian created? So Rabbi Eliezer says Aleph Tishrei, the world was created on Chofei Elo, right, which is six days before, and on Aleph Tishrei, Odom was created, okay, which is the sixth day of creation. And as a result of the fact that Odom was created, right, that's the creation of the world. Therefore, when the Torah says in the second month, in the seventeenth day of the second month, that means, right, the eighteenth day of Cheshvan. But Rabbi Yeshua says no, that the world was created. On Chofei Ador. So therefore, Odom was made on Aleph Nisan, you see. So, according to Rabbi Yoshua, it comes out that the second month, the 18th day, is what? Is Lag Boimer. Amazing. That means, according to Rabbi Yoshua, then the 18th day of, of, of Cheshvan, which is the second month, is Lag Boimer. But according to him, that's when the marble happened. You see? Not on Cheshvan, but in Eeyore. So it comes out that Lag Boima is also a day of redemption. You see? And that's when Rab Shim Bayechoi, or Yoichai, that's when he died. Why? Because he brought down the Zoya. That's a Tikkun. The Zoya, the Kabbalah, is a surface of the Orishim. Kabbalah, that's really what it is. It's called surface oration. Right? It is the beginning of the understanding, the entry to the gate of the messianic light. And Rabbi Shemibayichoy, who is the author of the Zoya, that's when he died. And he died on the day which commemorates his gift, his contribution. And that day was the day of the marble contra of Yeshua, you see. And therefore, that is a messianic day. And therefore, he dies on that day. Because the Zoya is the surface or the beginning of the entry into the Orishim, you see. So therefore, Klai Israel knows that Rabbi Shimon also is a messianic figure. And that is why he died on the day of the marble, right? Which is the 18th day of Eeyore, according to Rabbi Yeshua. 
That's why he died on that day, because that day is also a redemption day. You see? So Yisrael realizes that. And therefore, hundreds of thousands of people go to Rabbi Shimon. So we now understand something very important, that Yud Aleph Cheshvon, right, is a messianic day, and that's why Rochel Imenu died, and Yud Aleph, or rather I should say, the 18th day of Eo, contra Yeshua, is also a messianic day, and besides that also Yud Ches, Cheshvon, but contra Yeshua, Yud Ches Eo, which is a messianic day, and that is the day of Rabbi Shimon. You see? Now, what is also interesting, which I have to mention, is that we know that for five weeks, from the second day, the Sphira of Pesach, until Lagba Oimer, which is the 33rd day of, uh, of the Sphira, of the Oimer, right? The Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva died. Why did they die? So the Gemara says, they didn't give each other honor. And there are many ways of understanding that. What does that mean? They didn't, they didn't give each other the proper honor. All the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, you know, they didn't treat with respect their fellow students. What does that mean? So uh, the Marshal, the great Marshal, uh, one of the greatest commentaries in the back of the Gemara, and the Chofetz Chaim say that it wasn't that they lacked respect, which is true, but the problem was is that they spoke Lashon Hara <clears throat> against each other. And we know what the Chofetz Chaim says, that when you speak Lashon Hara, you prevent the Mashiach from coming. It is one of the major ways that restricts Right or blocks the entry of the Mashiach for whatever reason, basic reason because it opens up the Kitrugim, the prosecutions, and the Satan prosecutes against the Jewish people, and therefore the Mashiach doesn't come. Everybody's got to wait and so on. But anyway, uh, therefore, since they spoke Lashon Hara, right, one against the other, and these are the students of Rabbi Akiva, therefore the Mashiach is blocked in that sense, and therefore. They all died in the days of Sfira, you see. But what is interesting is that they start they stopped dying on Lagboimer, you see. We understand why. That means they died for five weeks. Imagine twenty four thousand students of Rabbi Akiva died. You should know one thing, we don't realize, but that was an unbelievable catastrophe to the Jewish people. Because these people who died are Tanoim. They are incredibly great. They were the students of Rabbi Akiva. So therefore, we lack, we have been denied, the unbelievable Torah of these people. Could you imagine if 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva lived? Could you imagine how much more Torah there would be in the Jewish people? Imagine the Chidushim, the, the novel ideas of 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, one of the greatest of the sages, what that would have done to the Jewish people. And since they died, we were denied that. 
you see. Not only that, but they endangered the transmission process. Because if they all died, who is going to transmit the Torah to the next generation? Right? It's incredible. And the third idea is Rabbi Akiva, the danger would have been that he would have been a broken man. Can you imagine a man spend his whole life and he finally has a yeshiva of 24,000 students, right? And Rabbi Akiva is an old man then. And they all died? That would be absolutely devastating. Fortunately for us, Rabbi Akiva was not that type of person. He was able to strengthen himself and he was able to teach the Torah to five students. And they are the ones who transmitted it, you see. But the main idea, and Rab Meir, by the way, was one of them, which is interesting. You know, you had Rab Shimon, Rab Meir, Rab Yossi, uh, Rab Nechemia, and Rabbi Eloza Ben Shamua, whatever. And some say, uh, Rab Yossi, whatever. But in any case, the main idea is that he was able to, you know, uh, strengthen himself and teach the Torah to five students. And they transmitted the Torah. Could you imagine what the punishment is to the Jewish people because they spoke Lashon Hara? So when did all of this stop? Ah, so this stopped on Lag Boimah, you see, which is the 18th day of Eo. Why? Because Lag Boimah is a day of redemption, you see. It's a day of, of Gula, because that's when Rab Shimon himself died. And therefore, it was so great that it was able to stop the death of the students of Rabbi Akiva. So that's when it stopped, on the day of redemption itself. You see, <clears throat> now, like I said, the Jewish people realize all this, right? And therefore, they come out in massive numbers. Again, not because they know why. I'm telling you why. But they have the inherent intuitive ability to know that these two days, Yud Aleph Cheshvon, the death, the time of Yud Aleph Cheshvon, which is when Moachli Menu died, and she died because to allow the Jews to pass by her kever, her grave, and pray to her, right, that she should intercede to God. That's why she died at that point in Beis Lechem, so that the Jews, when they go out of Israel to Babylon, they would pass that point. You see, that's why she died at that spot, you see. And because of that, because she died there, they were able to pray and ask for her to intercede, and it worked, you see. So the Jews intuitively realize this is the very important idea to pray to Rochel Imenu, uh, Mama Rochel, as they say, in Beis Lechem, you see, which is a very great day of her Yotzeit, you see, and also to go to, to go to Rab Shimon in Meron, to go to the Keva on Lag because that's the day he died, and he also was connected, because he's the one, right, who authored the Zoya, and the Zoya, most people do not realize, is a Kabbalah, right, is a textbook of Kabbalah, and the Kabbalah is the introduction, the surface of the Orishan, of the Messianic light, the Omashiach, you see. <clears throat> so that is why. What's interesting is that Pesach Sheni, which I had mentioned, right, and also Lag Boima, 
that they happened to happen happened to both occur, interestingly enough, in the same week. And by the way, that's why they light bonfires. You ever notice? Why is it that everybody's into what's called the Hilula? They all light bonfires on Lake Boima. You know, uh, here in Lakewood, where I live, there's going to be a lot of bonfires all over the place. And in Brooklyn, and of course, Eretz and Meron. Why? Because the fires are the Omashiach. That is symbolic of the Messianic light. You see? So that's what people do. They don't just light a little Yorkshire candle. We're talking about a major fire that everybody lights. You see? Because that is the symbol of the Messianic light. And that's what it symbolizes. You see? So it's amazing that Jews understand this. Right? They understand this. They know what to do. Even though most people have no idea why. They just do it. You see? Because as we approach the Geula, the redemption, and my feeling is that it's very soon, this gets larger and larger crowds. And I suspect very strongly that you will have among the greatest crowds in history in Meron, not only because everybody wants to get out because of COVID, you know, because I think everybody realizes that we have had enough you know, 2,000 years of exile is enough. That the Rabbanu has to have Rachmanus. He can't continue the terrible exile, the terrible suffering, and not only that, the insanity that this world has now turned to. We look around, and we realize this is a crazy world. The whole world is insane. We're not looking here about degradation, immorality. We are looking at behavior which is uncivilized. Sedoim and Amira. That's what we are looking at. You see? It's one thing to tolerate tremendous sin. It's another thing to tolerate uncivilized behavior. Barbarians. That's what America has become. And we see the same thing, unfortunately, in Israel. The amount of people who have nothing to do with religion, you see, the amount of not only immorality, the craziness that goes on, uh, you know, with the government in Israel and so on, the air of Rav. Jews have had enough. They want to come home. They want God to come back. So hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully, like Boima this year, right, which is the marble, it will be the messianic light and not the marble that will then envelop the Jewish people and the Mashiach will then, of course, come. So let's hope, let's hope that this Lag Boima will be the beginning, this Friday, will be the beginning of the redemption itself. And it is certainly, if it's going to happen at all, it will happen in that day or perhaps even Yudal of Cheshvan. And by the way, that is the reason why there is no Jewish holiday in Cheshvan. Cheshvan has no Jewish holiday at all. Whether it be a holiday, a fast day, there is nothing about it that commemorates any Jewish time. Perhaps the reason is because Cheshvan is the time of the greatest day in the history of the world or even the universe. And that is the entry of the Rabbanisham, the Orishan. And since it, therefore, it will commemorate the greatest day of all, Therefore, it doesn't have any other day now 
because the day that the ghoul will happen in Cheshvan or whatever will be so great that it will overshadow all other Jewish days. And therefore, the day that it happens will be so great, it doesn't need any other commemoration day. It will be the greatest of all, you see. So let's hope that this Lag Boima, something spectacular is going to happen. And that will truly begin the beginning of a messianic process. Any questions? Amen. Amen. God willing, it should be. Yes. Okay. That's very, very exciting, Rabbi. What was exciting? The shield? Yeah, just yeah. to know all of and it. Like Omer. Yes. Now you understand what Lag Boim is all about. You know? But like I say, it's amazing that even, I mean, most Jews don't have no idea why, but it's, it's uh, amazing to watch Jews that have this incredible intuitive sense, you see, of the fact that, you know, uh, the outside of Rochel Menu, Yudal Cheshvan, and Lag Boima, they have this intuitive sense, you know, uh, that there's something unbelievably special about these two days. You see? And that's what they do. You know? So, Rabbi, when you say, God willing, that um, the... The world, like the Geula will begin, right? And something spectacular will happen. Is this like in the, uh, on the spiritual level uh, or is this on the physical level? Well, you know, it's, uh, well, you know, yeah, exactly, yeah. Look, I, I, I don't know if this is going to happen, but if I, know. I can, if I can hear why, I can hear why it's appropriate and it makes sense, you know, and it won't be surprising something spectacular does happen, you see? So uh, it'll be on a spiritual sense, but I think it'll be a wonderment. People will be stunned if it does, if something like this uh, does happen, you know? So that's certainly true, you know? Like, like what would, it's like um, like a switch that would turn on in, in, in all of us type of, like, spiritually? Is yes, there will, there, yeah, something that, that spectacular, something will uh, be lifted on your, in your consciousness that there seems to be something going on, yeah. Look, I have a special relationship with Yud Alef when I once mentioned that your is birthday. my birthday. Your birthday. That was like the great. What was that? Your birthday. Correct. Yes, Yud Alef uh, that is my birthday, correct? Yes. So I have a, I have really a, uh, let's say a, uh, uh, I'm very favorable, obviously, toward that day, you know. But um, uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm certainly hopeful, like Bohemia, you know. And it's also Erev Shabbos, you know. Erev Shabbos is right the day before Shabbos. It's a time to prepare Shabbos, you know. So you have that also. But I'm and very glad that Israel. What was that? This year, because it's Shabbat, uh, Eric Shabbat, there are a lot of uh, shades on Friday instead of on uh, Lod. They are a lot of shave on Lod. Yes, yeah. But it's also very good that they opened it up. Apparently, they opened up the whole Meron to anybody that wants to come, even though 
there's this COVID going on, but apparently they realize that everybody wants to go. So there'll be more right. clashes if they don't open it up than if they do open it up. So they decided, which I think is a very important idea, is that they're opening up the whole Mayron to anybody that wants to come. So I'm telling you, we may witness the greatest gathering of Jews in the history of Israel on this Lag Boima. I would not be surprised. Because I think everybody yeah. realizes that this year with COVID has been an unbelievably difficult year. And it has to have something to do with that these are sufferings that precede the Messianic era. So it could be that people realize that. And in a certain sense, COVID seems to be ending, even in Israel. I heard for the first time, I think last week, that nobody died at all from COVID. So clearly we begin to see a green light, the end of COVID, which is a very good sign. You know, pandemics usually last, they can last for years or whatever. Look, even the Spanish flu lasted two years. But it's an incredible nest, miracle, that God has allowed this world to slowly crawl out of COVID you know, basically a, a year later, you know, and uh, look, in many ways, the one who gets credit for this, even though they don't want to give him credit, is Donald Trump. Trump. Yeah, he's the one that did it. He opened up. He opened up all the research programs to get it done. He forced them to get it done. He connected them. They communicate with each other. He provided billions of dollars, you know. Uh, and he's really the guy, although it's terrible that he gets no credit for what is happening. And like I said, who knows how many times, Trump is a messianic figure. So maybe he had to be the one to initiate a uh, reform, a cure, you know. But in any case, so I think people realize that. And we may have, uh, you know, in extraordinary crowds this uh, Thursday night, you see. Yeah. Any other fun. questions? Are you going to have Are you going to have uh, bonfires uh, where you are, Deal in Brooklyn? No, I'm having a wedding. My daughter's getting married instead. Oh wow! <laughs> when do they... What? That's that's messianic, isn't it? Uh, for me, it's messianic. It's like a, a, a dream come true. That's that's tremendous. I want to wish you a lot of mazel. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Shalom nachas from this door and everybody else. What was that? Amen. Amen for everybody. They should, you know what? And her dress is very cute. She's ready for the Messiah. Already good. That's great. Rabbi, thank God. Yeah. The bon the bonfires. What is it like? What does it uh, uh, represent? Yeah. The light well, I mentioned the, the well, the bonfire is the light of the Messiah. It's the Old Mashiach, and that's what Rab Shimon brought down when Rab Shimon by Yochai wrote the Zohar. That's exactly what he introduced to the world—an incredible amount of messianic light, which is Kabbalah, and the bonfires are representative of that ore. You see, that's why. And these are huge bonfires, you see? And that's what's done on Lag Boima. 
Again, that's all part of the mystical understanding of Lagboima. You see? It's it's completely in consonant with the uh, goings on of Lagboima. You see? Okay, any other questions? And you saw what happened in Iran. They made the stupid Iranian leader, uh, the United Nations, uh, a big position for humanitarian rights for women, the one who kills women. You saw that today? No, well, well I, I'm not getting this. What you, what'd you say? Okay, the leader of Iran has now been appointed to be a part of the United Nations uh, humanitarian. He's the one who kills women, makes them wear, he doesn't let them compete in sports, and he's in charge of humanitarian rights. The world well, this is, is crazy. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You know, I want to say, they're not even embarrassed of the hypocrisy of the UN. You know, you and, think that people and, have a semblance of... Uh, you think that people, you UN, would have a semblance of sanity. It's insane. It's hypocrisy. By, Rabbi, also um, on the news today, a father was arrested by, uh, for uh, child abuse. The wife reported him. The son is seven years old and wants to wear dresses, and he forbid him. So the mother called up. And they arrested him. The child's allowed to choose what he identifies as the girl is or a boy. He's seven years old. You mean they arrested him because he tried to prevent his son from wearing a dress? Exactly. It's all over the news today. Yeah, this is the insanity. We're not watching immorality. We're watching insanity. This isn't civilization. Even if you felt that... It, I'm just saying, even if you felt... What's the insanity about this? I'll tell you. What's the uncivil, uncivilized aspect of it? Even if you felt that somebody has a right to choose their gender, which itself is insane, to go against their biological, right? But how can you allow a seven-year-old that has absolutely no ability to even understand what they're doing to be able to, they don't have the experience to discriminate what the significance of their choice is. This is the insanity. You see what I'm saying? Even if you felt, well, a 21-year-old has the right, fine. That's an insanity in and of itself. But to, to, to say that you cannot, dis, you cannot stop a 7-year-old, well, a 7-year-old cannot make such a decision. Everybody knows that. You see what I'm saying? So then how could you be... What was that? A father is allowed to teach the child right from wrong. Exactly. That's the second thing. A father is not only allowed to, he has an obligation, right, to direct his child, right, in order to live the proper way. It's insane. We are watching the end of civilization. That's what you're watching. When the whole thing is insane, it's called an Alice in Wonderland scenario which is insane, if you're familiar with the story. They Lewis also Carroll. legalized prostitution. Yes, I heard about that also, yeah. Well, that's the immorality. Now you're and looking also, at Damon Amora, yeah. And then yeah, also, but Rabbi, how about in France? They, the woman was murdered, and the guy...
guy has no charges because he was on marijuana. And right now, America is legalizing marijuana. Yeah, which is, again, insane. Yeah. Yes. What kind of just, this is classic France. What kind of a, what kind of a legal system is this, Right. That even if you want to say the guy was, you know, in a, he wasn't in the proper frame of mind, right? Yeah, but he killed somebody. That's manslaughter. And he knew that if he goes into this, if somebody gets into a car and, and is drunk and by accident they kill somebody, it's still manslaughter, right? Here, this guy took the woman, right? Picked her up and threw her out the window. So he actually intended to kill her. What was that? He beat her up for one hour first and, and then threw her off the balcony. Yeah, yeah. So how can they allow him? They at least should have charged him with manslaughter. But that's France. This is the inhumanity of a legal system in a country like France. I'm telling you, you are watching insanity take over mankind. That's why this is really, in many ways, good news. It's one thing to sin, but at least the sin is within the bounds of civilization. You know what I'm saying? I, okay. okay. But when you watch the world turn insane, then you are saying, you are looking at where God says, enough is enough. I can tolerate sin, but I cannot tolerate insanity. I cannot tolerate the dissolution of mankind. And that's what happened by the marble. Remember when I once told you that the Medrash says uh, that the Xera, the decree against the world, which is the decree to destroy the world through the flood, the Mabel, happened because they decided that if a, person mar if a man marries a man or he marries an animal, then they have to write a Ksuba, which means right. that the... Which, which means that the, the marriage, if that's what you want to call it, obviously it's ridiculous, is legalized. That means mankind not only condones it, but they legalized it in an official way. We actually have to have a document. That is uncivilized. And God will not tolerate uncivilization. You see? So in a certain sense, I hate to say it, but it's good news. Because we are really watching the end. We are watching the window almost shut, as I once said, right? And this is, in many ways, good news. Finally, God is going to induce God to take action. Like I said a long time ago, the action is one of two kinds when the world reaches Mem Teshari Tumah, the 49 levels of evil. The action that he's going to take, either he will destroy the world, which he won't, or he will bring the Mashiach, which he will. So in that sense, it's very good because we are finally witnessing the complete deterioration of mankind and civilization. So, because it's occurring in every which way. It's occurring in gender, tremendous gender deterioration. It is recurring in nonsense of racism, right? It's insane what's going on. It is incurring, occurring in the legal system. I just beyond belief what has happened, you see. And the whole world, like I say, is just falling apart. And this is the beginning. This is only the beginning, you know. Somebody told me that somebody's petitioning uh, a court where a mother wants to mar be able to marry her son. Yeah, That's the, the, 
Yeah, that's the legalization of incest. You, we are watching the beginning of the end. This is the start. Give it another couple of years, right? And you could be able to see fathers marry their daughter, m- daughters, mothers marry their sons. You will be able to see men marry animals, or more than two people will be, get, be able to get married, and so on. You are going to watch a, 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 a festival of absolute insanity in every which way. And the whole concept of defunding the police is insane, you see. Because without the police, nobody will fear, as it says in Pirkei If it wasn't for the fear of the government, everybody would swallow everybody else live. Belohu Chaim, you see. So how could you defund the police? And there are people saying, don't have any police. We are watching the patients... The, uh, the insane patients take over the asylum. That's what we are watching. And, 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 and that's it, you know, the, uh, that, that's the end. Once that happens, we're not looking at a normal world anymore. And I'm not even talking about the world being completely immersed in materialism, uh, non-spirituality. You know, I heard there was a statistic that said that uh, one-third of millennials have nothing to do with religion or God. One-third. Imagine that in America. That's over with. The world has begun to deteriorate. So is the Rebbe going to watch and allow the world to deteriorate completely? No. All you need is the beginning of the insanity because that beginning is accepted by the world at large. It is now becoming the norm, you see. And this is the end, which is a very good sign for us, because it means that the window is closing almost totally. So thank God for that, that the darkness is almost complete. So therefore, something spectacular has to happen, which will begin the reversal of the process. That's it. Just hang in there. Also, Rabbi, one of their commandments of Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Melech is to make judges and court systems and everything in the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Melech they're going against. Yes, definitely, yes. Rabbi, yeah. you say, when you say um, the reversal will begin, is, is that compared to uh, the Omer for B'nai Israel? That was a part of their reversal, correct? When the 49 yes, that was until they received the Torah? Yes. Yeah. So the reversal has to go the other way. Right? It has to go from one level of Tumah to 49 levels of Tumah. Yeah, but it doesn't have to go. We've already reached it. Yeah, I know that. We are in the Memtesari Tumah. Correct. And uh, Tumah, Jer- like I Jersey, said... In Jersey, they just... Um, they just need a thing for your license it's male female or other male female or other mm-hmm. who is the other if you don't if you don't uh, if you don't know or, what you are yet it's not in their oh, business oh i see if you have, you mean you're still masupak you're still not sure yeah wow yeah okay. i want to tell you something you can't even make this stuff up it is so bizarre you cannot even make up what's happening in this world. And the amazing shock is America. 
who would ever believe that America, which, which was the beacon to the entire world of some level of law and order and justice and morality in some capacity, right? Nobody's perfect. Should take a, an incredible reversal, right? And don't worry, all of these people, you have no idea. And this is what's so frightening. All of them, Biden, Harris, the whole Congress, the whole House, all of them are going someday to stand in front of God. And what they will be accused of isn't sinning. It is destroying civilization. Do you have any idea what that is? That charge is leveled at a human being? That he is responsible for destroying civilization? They have no idea. I want to tell you something. When that happens, you don't want to be a hundred million miles away from these guys. That's what you want to be. Because the wrath of God, which takes a long time, because we know the Mershom is an Erech But once the wrath of God, the judgment, happens, you don't even want to be a hundred million miles away from these guys. That's how far you want to be, you see. Because their accusation or their crime is not a crime where they sinned. No. Their crime is that millions of people will now abandon the normal civilization, right? And to practice bizarre and bestial things because of them. They are absolute morons. They have no concept how dangerous is the path. You see, we don't even know. And we think that, you know, guys like Hitler, Mao Tse, Stalin, I mean, these are the greatest criminals in history. So we say, well, because they killed so many people. But what people do not understand is there are many ways to murder somebody. They did it physically. <clears throat> and their punishment is unimaginable. Only a god knows what to do with these people. Nobody else can figure it out. That is how grievous their sin is. But they don't realize that what is equal or tantamount, what they did, you see, is not the murder of an individual. It is the murder of civilization. They don't realize that. And God will not forgive. He will utterly annihilate, eviscerate, destroy these people. But before he does that, they have no idea of the suffering that they will have to endure for every single individual that has sinned because of them. You see, and I, I just hope for their sake that they wake up and realize that in the end, they have to give an accounting to the king of the universe, the almighty God, for what they are doing to his world. You see, and they do not understand that. Like I said, it's not the sin. It is the destruction of civilization that they are creating and generating and for that we have no their punishment punishment is unimaginable you have to realize that this is what they're doing they think they're laughing all about it i mean when you hear harris she's always giggling and laughing does she have any idea what she's going to face when god finally says enough is enough no she has no idea 
feel sorry for the woman. I feel sorry for Biden. I feel sorry for all of them. I mean, just look at what the House is doing in the Congress. Because they are not only guilty of destroying America, of destroying civilization, because America is a beacon to civilization, but they are guilty of reneging on their responsibility to govern in a righteous way. And they don't. They violate, not only they violate the Noachite laws, but they violate decency and morality, you see. Listen, it's tragic, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen.